Our pericope of Scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, and we're going to begin our reading at verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Matthew, chapter 1, beginning our reading at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought in these things, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. We look at Lord's Day 11 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 8 in the back. Psalters, Lord's Day 11. Question 29, why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, a Savior? Answer, because he saveth us and delivereth us from our sins, and likewise, because we ought not to seek neither can find salvation in any other. Question 30. Do such then believe in Jesus, the only Savior, who seek their salvation and welfare of saints, of themselves, or anywhere else? Answer, they do not. For though they boast of him in words, yet in deeds They deny Jesus the only Deliverer and Savior. For one of these two things must be true. Either that Jesus is not a complete Savior, or that they who by a true faith receive this Savior must find all things in him necessary to their salvation. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word again this morning. 
There is a song that goes, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And the name of Jesus is on the lips of many. But do they know what they are saying when they use his name? Do they know on whom they are calling? Very striking here in Lord's Day 11 that the catechism immediately proceeds from the name to the person. It speaks about Jesus himself, who he is and what he has done. That he redeems us. That he saves us from all our sins. Yes. Yes, in our instruction. And in the preaching of the word, Jesus himself must stand before us as a living reality. That he redeems us and that he saves us from all of our sins. A living reality. Is he that for you? By faith, do you behold your Savior with arms outstretched towards you, giving to you all the benefits that he has earned for you by his suffering and by his death and his resurrection. The Son of God in our human flesh has many different names, doesn't he? They can be multiplied easily. He is, as we read in our passage, Emmanuel. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Son of David. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the Son of Man. And the names can go on and on. But of all those names, none is better, none is sweeter to the believer's heart than the name of Jesus. That name really contains the whole gospel, doesn't it? Jehovah salvation or Jehovah saves. It tells us that first of all, in that person, in that person, we have God himself. And we have our God acting working, saving all those who are his, all those who were given to him in eternity. And we have in there the gospel about salvation, how we are saved from our sins. That's why Jesus Christ came. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am a chief. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul, and may they be your and my words this morning also. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Matthew 9, verse 13 Jesus says, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or again, 1 John 3, verse 5, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Yes, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Do you know him? Do you know him as your own Savior and your Lord, your Master? Do you know that your sins, though many in number, are washed away by Jesus' blood? So we're instructed in the name of Jesus. Notice he is a wonderful Savior. Second of all, he is an only Savior. And thirdly, he is a complete Savior. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. The name that is given to him by God. The angel that came to Joseph said, you will call his name Jesus. And Lord's Day 11 begins the explanation of what is confessed concerning God the Son. We're going to have three Lord's Days teaching us about the person of the Mediator. We're going to have three Lord's Days speaking about his state of humiliation. And then we'll have three Lord's Days dealing with his state of exaltation. Jesus is his personal name. Just like Audred is my personal name. Christ is his official title, just like pastor is my official title. So we can say, Jesus the Christ, or we can say, Christ Jesus. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. During his whole sojourn here on earth, he was known by that name. There would be those from his hometown saying, isn't this Jesus of Nazareth? Or the Gentiles came to, the Greeks came to Jesus' disciples and they say, we seek Jesus. And hopefully as we come to worship this morning, that is also the delight and the earnestness of our heart. We seek Jesus. That we may hear Jesus. That we may see him as he set forth in the scriptures. There above the cross, as he's dying, the title is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That is the subject of the preaching, whether it be to the Jews or whether it be to the Gentiles. We read in Acts chapter 2, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God and among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know, him 
being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And Peter goes on in that sermon again in verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. So that is the subject of the apostles as they coming to the Jews. The very next chapter again, Acts chapter 3, verse 16. As Peter and John are healing the lame man. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Acts chapter 4, when Peter and <clears throat> John are hauled before the Sanhedrin, very boldly, be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God hath raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here whole before you. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So in the preaching of the apostles to the Jews, it was Jesus, by faith in the name of Jesus. And the same is true as the gospel goes also to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Philip opened his mouth because the eunuch there is traveling and he says, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this? He's reading Isaiah chapter 53. Of whom is the prophet speaking? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Two chapters further. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. There the Peter is talking to Cornelius. And we read there in Acts 10, verse 43, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth on him shall have remission of sins. They preach Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The dying Stephan cries out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. To the Apostle Paul came a voice saying, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And to the end of time, remission of sins will be preached in Jesus' name. There's a beautiful chorus. It goes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Savior, Master, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's 
something about that name. Yes, it's true. In the Old Testament, that name was commonly used amongst the Jews. Boys and girls, you remember from the Old Testament that it is Joshua who takes over leading God's people after Moses dies. It is Joshua who leads them into the land of Canaan as a type of what the greater antitype Christ Jesus does leads us from our sin in this world up into heaven. Or there is the prophet Hosea or Hoshea or Joshua the high priest who, who there stands with filthy garments after the Israelites come back. From Babylon. Colossians 4, verse 11, there's a helper of Paul whose name is Jesus, who is called Justice. Or there's even the sorcerer in Acts 13, Bar Jesus. So while it's a common name in the Old Testament, yet others only could carry it typically. In other words, they are saying, yes, Jehovah is our salvation. He's going to save us by the blood of a lamb. The lamb that was slain on Calvary's cross. His name is Jesus. The angel says to Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why God told through the angel, told Joseph this has got to be his name because it describes who he is and what he has come to do. His mandate was to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says, John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. He comes to seek and to save the lost. So he is not primarily a teacher. Oh, he is that too. He's not primarily an example, but yes, he is a good example also. And he surely is not an earthly king or liberator. There are many attempts of the Jews to try to force him to be their king. Or the temptation of Satan, just bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. You don't have to go to the cross. Jesus Christ is not an arbitrator. You'll remember those two men who came to Jesus trying to have Jesus give a fair distribution of their inheritance. And Jesus says, that's not my calling. The question that comes to you and me this morning, as it did to Jesus' disciples before, Who do you say that I am? There are many answers today to that question. Who do they say Jesus is? He's a social reformer. He's a religious teacher. He was a revolutionary. He was a philosopher. Many want to take Jesus for their programs in this world. But Jesus is Jehovah's salvation. Because he saves. He saves by his substitutionary atonement. 
And boys and girls, that big word, substitutionary atonement, simply means substitute. Like a teacher in school might be sick, you have a substitute teacher. Jesus Christ comes to stand in your and my place to make atonement. That is, to pay for our sins. Jesus shall save us. Not just Jesus will save us someday, but Jesus saves us when he comes by his spirit and creates new life in our hearts, when Jesus Christ takes the throne of our hearts. You see, salvation is not just a far-off concept. Someday I'm going to be saved Yes, in heaven that salvation will be complete, it will be perfect, it will be finished. But right now here on earth, today, that salvation is surely enjoyed by God's children right now. We are saved. We have been set free from the slavery, the dominion of sin. He makes us blessed and happy. And what is that blessedness? Not only the hope for a life, a heavenly life, that soothes all of our sorrows. And it's not merely the knowledge that he is with us in our needs. That is, he is standing in our storm-tossed boats, just like he did with the disciples. But our blessedness of this Savior is the forgiveness of our sins. That is salvation. That is peace. That is liberty to our souls. It is peace. We are saved from our sins and therefore we have peace with God. He's not angry with us. The frightening curse has been taken away. Not a wrathful God, but a God of love and mercy. We are not guilty, but justified. It is a source of liberty. You see, sin makes us unholy, unhappy, and miserable. Sin eats away at all of our relationships. Sin makes us slaves and captives. Oh, the liberty when the fetters, when the chains of our sins are broken, loosed. And we are set free and we are happy. And all the way to our death, we have to say, the good that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that I do, but already there is liberation. For the person who is saved cannot ever say, the good that I would, huh? The person who is not saved doesn't want anything good. The saved know that Christ is living within us, that he blots out our sins. He blesses what we do well by his grace. Liberation. Yes, we still commit sins, but no longer are we underneath its dominion pressing on us. It's not Satan, but it is Jesus Christ who stands and rests in our hearts. 
It's Jesus Christ who holds the reins on our lives. We are no longer under slavery. Martin Luther wrote that book, didn't he? The bondage of the will. Apart from Christ, one is a slave to sin. But in Christ Jesus, we are freed from sins, free from even our old natures. What a wonderful Savior we have. That's the first point. But we go on. Question 29 points out that he is a wonderful Savior. Question 30 goes on to point out that he is an only Savior, that he is the true Savior, the God-given Savior. The misery, the collapse of mankind, of nations and individuals is to be found not in a social or political or economic realm, but the liberation is found in a spiritual arena. What ruins humanity is not some political evil or wrong, political order that there is, but it's sin. Jesus himself likened himself to a physician who is not needed by those who are well, healthy, but is needed by those who are sick. So what is necessary for this physician? Two things. First of all, the physician has to diagnose what exactly is wrong. And then second of all, he has to bring the correct cure, doesn't he? First of all, he makes a correct diagnosis. He points out to you and me what really ails us. What is a source of the misery in our life? As long as a person doesn't know, as long as he looks and gropes and guesses, there's little hope that there can be a cure. There are so many would-be saviors, aren't they? But they come with a wrong diagnosis. There are those who say, well, we have this misery in our life because of a bad environment that we were grown up in, so hopefully we can make a better environment in the future. Or others say there's misery and there's sin because of poor education, so all you need then is better schools. Others say, well, there's misery in the world because of poverty. Well, then you need socialism, is it? Take from the rich and give to the poor, better conditions. Those are all false saviors. Christ is the physician who knows the diagnosis that he gives to us in his word, sin. In the Lord's Supper, it's stated as so correctly and clearly, isn't it? He has taken away the cause of our misery, namely sin. And he brings the right cure, his precious blood shed. Vicarious atonement. Christ standing there in our place, representing us, dying for our sins. Propitiation. Another big word, boys and girls. Propitiation simply means Christ Jesus took the wrath of God that should have come to us sinners And he took it there all of his life, and especially there 
on the cross so that he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yes, in Jesus' blood spilt, there is remission of sins. And the big word remission that we hear at the Lord's table simply means those sins are taken away, blotted out. Jesus is the true Savior. He saves from all of our sin. What a wonderful Savior. Because he is a God-given Savior, no other name so beautifully brings it out than the name Jesus, and only Savior. Jesus, that is my Savior. Jesus is my joy. Jesus is my song. He is the only Savior that God gave. And he is a Savior who does not tolerate anyone or anything to take place or stand alongside of him. As we read, and likewise, because we ought not to seek, neither can we find salvation in any other. And therefore, the catechism says, we must not seek, nor will we find salvation in any other. It's Jesus, it's Jesus who says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I give you rest isn't that a beautiful call from our savior are you heavy laden with your sins bothered with those sins and jesus says come come to me and i will give you rest that's hard isn't it that's hard to admit that one has sinned It's hard to lay out in our prayers all of those hidden thoughts in our minds or those words that were spoken. It's so humbling. We live only by grace, don't we? He is an only Savior, beloved. That statement is today considered radical and exclusive. But it is the language of Jesus himself. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the language, isn't it, of the apostles' teaching. Acts 4, verse 12, There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. That today is considered radical and not politically correct. You're saying you're the only, the only way to be saved is by believing in Jesus? Only Christians are going to go to heaven? <coughs> Many years ago when I was riding in a plane back from Ireland, sat next to a Lutheran lady who was reading a book. It was a dialogue between a Roman Catholic and a Jewish rabbi. And so we had a dialogue that ensued afterwards. She believed that many were saved, whether they were Muslims, whether they were Jews, whether they were Christians, 
All of them come to God even though their knowledge is incomplete, she says. No. No. And that's where the world is going to hate us. This is where the Antichrist will not allow Christians to continue to worship or to speak the name of Jesus because they say it's isolating. It's exclusive. You're saying that's the only way one can be saved is by believing in Jesus. But that's what faith is, isn't it? It's not an incomplete knowledge. It is a knowledge of what God has revealed himself in his word. Jehovah's salvation in my son, Jesus Christ. And one is saved only in knowing and believing in this Jesus Christ. And that's why the incentive of missions, isn't it? To make known Jesus Christ. That was the Apostle Paul's preaching to the Jew and the Gentile alike. Not all are saved. But as the Apostle Paul made known to the Athenians who had that altar to the unknown God. He says, I'm going to explain this God to you, the God who made all things and the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and was raised again the third day. And the Athenians laugh. They say, hey, we'll hear you again another day sometime. Not all are saved. The Jews might have a zeal, the Apostle Paul says, but it's without knowledge. Only one way. Every other way up to God is a false way. Every other system is a lie. Every other voice draws one to death. One way only. What an antithetical religion we have. What an antithetical stand we must take. Pilate knew that the Jews had to choose one of two. Would it be Jesus or would it be Barabbas? You see, Barabbas was Jesus' competitor. A kind of Messiah. One who would bring change to the Jews through radical fighting. Who will they choose? Barabbas, it was prosperity through revolution. Will one have prosperity and peace through revolution or through Christ Jesus suffering and die for us? The Apostle Paul had to deal with the Judaizers. They wanted to say, yes, we're saved by Jesus and by our works, by doing those things of the Old Testament laws. And of course, question and answer 30 really is trying to poke a hole in the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And of course, it's written in that time era over against the sin and the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Can one be saved by calling on saints, or calling on angels, or calling on Mother Mary? There are saints. There are saints up in heaven. There are saints right here on earth. Saints in the church. 
We are called a holy nation, a peculiar people. And those saints are saved by Jesus Christ alone. But the Roman Catholic Church says, yes, we need Jesus, but the last pope who just died made more of Mariolatry than any other pope before him. In his view, just as Adam and Eve are needed to produce the human race, Jesus and his mother Mary are necessary to have a church. Shall we call on Mary? Shall we call on Peter? Wonderful saints that they are. Even Mary knows that it's not her relationship to her son as a mother, but it's the relationship of a devotee who looks to her son for her salvation. And all those images in those churches and all the prayers to the saints, there's only one Savior, Jesus. And outside of him, salvation cannot be sought. They did not, with the power of his Godhead, blot out sins. We are not saved by our parents. We're not saved by the church. We're not saved by other saints. We are saved only in Christ Jesus. And cursed is anyone who makes the arm of flesh his savior. We must not seek our salvation not in others and surely not in ourselves. What is a common view out there? I do the best I can in my life and therefore, yes, hopefully I should be saved. The Apostle Paul before his baptism, but more that before his conversion. He could look at all the things of his life and say, yes, look at me, look at me. But when he was confronted with Jesus there on the road, he calls all those other things dung, dung. There is the Arminian theology. Yes, Jesus died for sins. Jesus wants to save you, and now you have to be willing and trust in him. So it's really cooperation. I gave myself to Jesus. What a failure. What a failure that is of theology. My fickle heart, I'm going to trust that? when my faith might be strong at times, but also many times my faith is very weak. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And we go on and we read, and no man can come unto me except the Father which sent me. Draw him. You see, we cannot and we will not come to Jesus even though he's preached to us from childhood on our own. But it is our God and our Christ who draws us to him. 
It's Jesus Christ who not only died for us, but it is Jesus Christ now in heaven who is applying all those blessings to us. That's what makes him our Savior. That's why he must be God. The risen Christ in heaven, by his spirit and by his word, causes us to know our sins are forgiven. We are made righteous through Christ Jesus and we have the hope of everlasting life. He applies it. We are not saved by our emotions, by what we feel, but we are saved by a sure knowledge of what God has revealed and then the beautiful assurance. It's not only for others, but for me too. And there's coming a day when the Antichrist comes. And you see, the Antichrist is not merely against Christ Jesus, but he wants to be there instead of Christ Jesus. He will not permit the churches to exist or to call upon the name of Jesus. He says, fall down and worship me. Christ is the only Savior. We are saved only by the work of God choosing us and giving us to Christ Jesus to be saved. Jesus says to you and to me, come unto me. I will give you rest. So he's a wonderful Savior. He is a complete Savior as well as the only Savior. Complete. Many want to add to Jesus' work. Question 30. For one of these two things must be true, that either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or that they who by a true faith receive this Savior must find all things in him necessary to their salvation. Not cooperation, God and us, Not our work ethic. And of course, the catechism instructor is talking there about against the Roman practices, isn't it? Rome didn't want to set Christ aside, didn't want to try to replace him, but they were of the opinion that his work needs to have something added. There must be a kind of cooperation. The Roman Catholic taught that Jesus' death would pay for all of one's sin before his baptism. You and I would have to pay for all of our sins after baptism. Well, you say, if that's true, I'm going to wait to get baptized till the last minute before I go to hell, before I die. All my sins for all those years are gone because I waited with baptism, except there's a little problem. If you're not baptized and you die, you don't go to heaven at all. Does Jesus pay for only the sins for those eight days, two weeks, three weeks? Or is he a complete Savior from all of your sins? Arminians seek to complement Jesus' work. Jesus pays the penalty, 
Now, you and I have to apply it. You and I have to cash the check. You and I have to accept that death of Jesus. You and I have to make Jesus our Lord and Savior. Then salvation really depends upon us. Then we get the credit. I decided to follow Jesus. No. Theonomist today. We have to build Christ's kingdom. We have to make the world Christian so that then Christ can come and reign here. And if we can't do it by God's grace, then we have to do it by laws. Over against all those false teachings and over against our own proud hearts that like to think that we somehow help, complement, Jesus' work is complete. He has both merited and he is also the one who applies salvation. He delivers us from our sin. He makes us partakers of his salvation. Why? Because he purchased that salvation himself and by his spirit applies it. How wonderful that Jesus Christ, as he's presented in his word, as he speaks to us in his word, he stops us on the way of sin and he causes us to fall down like the Apostle Paul by his spirit. Jesus in his word reveals himself. He is the only Savior. He reveals that his salvation is a particular salvation. He is a complete Savior for all those whom the Father has given to him from eternity in this life and in the life to come. There is the salvation of our souls and there is the salvation of our bodies. When we die, our souls are completely rid of sin taken up into heaven. When we are raised from the dead, when Jesus comes back, then the bodies also are made perfect. And that means, then, beloved, in this life and in death, we look to Jesus, we hope in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus not only wills our salvation, but he actually affects that salvation. So ask the question with the catechism again. Why is the Son of God called Jesus? Because he saveth us. That means Jesus is a real, powerful, particular Savior. All those whom God has chosen, given to Jesus, every one of them will be saved by his death, and by his resurrection. What a perfect Savior. What an effectual Savior. What an exclusive Savior. What a wonderful Savior. What a true Savior. What an only Savior. What a complete Savior. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, loving word. 
Amen. Father in heaven, what a gift. Thine only begotten Son, taking on our human nature to stand in our place. Oh yes, he is called Jesus. Jehovah saves. We thank thee for that salvation. And we thank thee that by faith in him, we are saved from all of our sins. Amen.